0: This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. Welcome to Equity Mates Uncovered. Every company has a story worth telling, and on this podcast, we'll be bringing the companies to you so you can hear from them in their own words.
1: Welcome to this episode of Uncovered by Equity Mates, the podcast that shines a light on some of the companies that don't receive as much media or analyst attention. We believe that every company has a story worth telling and that is what we do on this podcast. We hear fascinating stories of companies from Australia and around the world from the company leaders themselves. We're speaking to CEOs, founders and company leaders to hear about their company in their own words and where they want to take it next. Today, I'm with Scott Kirkland, who is the co-founder and CEO of M-Vision Medical Devices. The ASX ticker is EMV. They are working on a portable brain scanner for stroke victims. Now I'm not going to get too much into the data around strokes or the portable brain scanner and Uh, Its potential use cases because Scott does a great job of unpacking that all in the episode. But I just think this is another great example of Australian universities really punching above their weight when it comes to medical innovation. Now before we get started it's important to stress this is not a buy, hold or sell recommendation. This podcast is all about exploring the stories of these companies. It's a starting point for your own research if you are interested. So do your own research Seek professional advice if you want it and make your own assessment. And while we are licensed here at Equity Mates, we are not aware of your personal financial circumstances, so any advice is general only. All right, well, without further ado, let's jump into my interview with Scott Kirkland, the co founder and CEO of EM Vision Medical Devices. Scott, thanks for joining Uncovered by Equity Mates.
2: It's a pleasure to be here, Alec.
1: Now, this is a fascinating story, one that I wasn't familiar with. And I really want to start with uh, just the, I guess, the issue of strokes, because some of the stats really astounded me. So let me just read some of them out. One in four people globally will have a stroke in their lifetime. Worldwide, it's the second leading cause of death and the third leading cause of disability. Uh, they're pretty astonishing numbers. Can you bring us back to Australia? How big an issue is strokes in Australia? And can you give us some
2: of the numbers there? They're pretty, they're pretty alarming when you read them out. Uh, so in Australia, there's around 50,000 strokes each year. And the health economic impact is estimated around $6 billion per annum. So it is, it is a life-changing event. It's a huge societal burden. It's a huge health economic burden there are very effective treatments. So that's that's the positive.
1: Yeah. On on the treatments, like before we start talking about uh, the role that EM Vision wants to play, it would be good to understand, you know, the world as it is now and and how strokes are monitored and treated sure. today.
2: So with a stroke, there, there are two types. There is either a blockage in a blood vessel, an ischemic stroke, or a bleed, a ruptured blood vessel, a hemorrhagic stroke. Blockages account for about 80%. And what is consistent across both types is time is brain. So there are Brain, millions of brain cells dying every minute. The quicker it can be diagnosed, the quicker it can be treated, the better the outcome. And the treatment paths are very different. If it's a blockage, you wanna restore blood flow in the brain, there's a drug known as TPA. It's a bit like Drano, a bit more sophisticated, <laughs> clears the blockage, restores the plumbing in the brain. Uh, if, it's, if there's a, a bleed, the, there might be neurosurgery, trying to control that bleed, lowering blood pressure, very different um, treatment pathways. But the earlier clinicians can figure out the type of stroke, Diagnose, treat, the better the outcome. Today, the workhorse in stroke is CT. Great images. And they have been the workhorse for a whole lot of brain imaging since, you know, 70s. And they obviously get better each year. But they are still very, very large machines. So even the smaller mobile versions are 600 odd kilos. They're driven like a forklift. They're big. There's a whole lot of infrastructure investment. uh, And they need specialist operators, a radiographer. Yeah, yeah. So, that's the gap. So, there isn't anything that's portable, that's like an ultrasound, you know, easy to use, can be brought to the patient, that can be operated by uh, anyone with the appropriate training, any healthcare professional with the appropriate training, uh, and that's the gap. Yeah. But ultrasound's really bad at doing the brain, so that's really the gap we're filling. So, like ultrasound, but but imaging the brain at the point of care.
1: Yeah, okay. So. Time is brain. That's mm. a, I like that one. That's um, a good line. So that's, the I guess, the world as it is now. Let's talk about the world that uh, you guys are trying to, to build and the mm. change you're trying to affect. This uh, technology came out of the University of Queensland And their commercialization company, Uniquest, uh, wrote something about the device that I think frames, I guess, the scale of the ambition. Uniquest wrote, this device could well have the same life-saving potential as the widespread introduction of defibrillators 20 years ago. Big call.
2: I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. And, and there's a whole Packer Whacker wacker story we can talk about with Packer, I think, fell off a horse at a polo match, had a heart attack, an ambulance happened to be there with a defibrillator, saved his life. He then spent, you know, millions of dollars to roll them out widely across New South Wales. But it, it is a huge market, absolutely. But I think for us, we don't want to be, you know, three hundred and forty-third CT manufacturer. We're we're focusing on a one-of-a-kind device or devices uh, in an ecosystem with effectively no or very little competition. Yeah. So, so that's one of the important elements to appreciate. We're not trying to replace CT or MRI. We're focusing on the environments where clinicians need brain imaging. They need to, a more objective view of what's going on with the patient, but CT isn't practical or accessible. So, the the ambulance
1: portable device or the, even just the backpack version is pretty fascinating and... I guess for the, the one in the hospital, you understand like, um, you know, rather than taking a patient to the device, you can sort of constantly monitor them in where they are in the hospital. Uh, but for the ambulance and the portable one, can you talk to us about, you know, the use case and the potential for that?
2: Mm, sure. And, and we're taking all, all the learnings from our hospital device and, and transporting that to our ambulance version. The next milestone we have coming up into this quarter is the fabrication of an advanced prototype. And then we uh, roll into healthy volunteer studies with that device, and then next year we're slated for road and air ambulance trials. So it's it's moving along nicely. The headset we're targeting under ten kilograms, ca- literally carried in the backpack by paramedics. Uh, they can bring it into the scene. You know, if, if the patients had a stroke on the floor, third floor of the you know apartment building, they can bring it up, scan the patient at home. And there's a few things that, that we really want to help answer. The first of which is it a stroke or not, right? Because Up to fifty percent of patients presenting with stroke-like symptoms can have a mimic. So, oh wow, a a migraine, epileptic fit, rare cases, brain tumour. So, figuring out is it a stroke or not first.
1: And and in the world today, you don't know that until you get them to the hospital and scan there.
2: There, There's something called stroke scales, which is it's almost like a physical exam slash questionnaire that paramedics can administer. But it's it's helpful, but it's not super sensitive and specific.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's not a brain scanner. It's not a brain scanner, yeah. exactly.
2: <laughs> uh, and, and it's all about combining outputs from a brain scanner with those tests, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as they would with a CT. So paramedics op- run the scan, and it's very quick. You know, So our first-generation device, you know, targeting under five minutes for, for, for the scan process, the outputs can then be sent to the hospital, to the neurologist. And again, we want to ask, is it a stroke or not? If it is a stroke, what type? Is it the ischemic, the blockage, or hemorrhagic or bleed? where is it, show us a picture, where is it approximately in the brain and figure out where do we first, where do we send them? Because maybe the nearest hospital isn't the right place. Mm. It might be better to go further to a comprehensive stroke centre that has the Drano, the TPA (laughs) (laughs) that we were talking about earlier or or, um, something called thrombectomy, which is the surgery to, to remove the clot. Or, you know, really where, where we're ultimately heading and we're working with a group called the Australian Stroke Alliance and the longer-term ambition is to open the door to being able to administer those drugs on scene. And they have a um, something called a mobile stroke unit operating in Victoria at the moment. It's a multi-million dollar truck with a CT scanner on the back, uh, inside rather, and a van following behind with specialised staff and they're turning up to code strokes or suspected strokes within 40 kilometres of the Royal Melbourne Hospital and they tell us stories about seeing patients that have paralysis all down one side of their body and they'll assess them, they'll look at their symptoms, their history, they'll give them a scan and if they're eligible, they'll treat them and literally 45 minutes later, they can use, move their arm, they can move their leg. You know, they can walk out of hospital on their own steam um, and, but, but there's a very small amount of patients that are receiving that level of particularly what's called golden hour care. So the idea is if you have something portable, lightweight, operated by paramedics... You don't need to customize an ambulance. Uh, you can deploy that widely, not just urban, but particularly regional, rural settings, remote communities where there's a really big need.
1: It's really, it's really exciting, and it's quite inspiring to like just think about all of the the incredible medical devices and you know new drugs that are being developed, and you know you talking about the potential use cases. It's it's great to hear. It makes me feel confident that if I'm one the one in four people that unfortunately have a stroke, that you know you're working on better and better ways to help me touch wood touch yeah. <laughs> wood you're not, you're not but yeah
2: it, the, the future is definitely bright and i think you know 20 years ago it, it wasn't that case for stroke but but the the future is definitely getting brighter that's for sure
1: so let's take us back to the university of queensland sure. and and i guess take us through the journey of how this technology was developed and i guess that where it is now
2: sure sure so going back i mean the the journey with the underlying technology at the university of queensland started around 2008 2009 um, very talented research team, over 20, 20 individuals there, led by uh, Aminabush, Professor Amina Bush and Stuart Crozier. Stuart Crozier is now our chief scientific officer. Um, uh, and just, yes. just
1: sorry to interrupt, but to pause on their credentials, uh, I think was it Stuart was uh, instrumental in developing the MRI.
2: It, he, he instrumental in developing a, a image correction technique, an IP that is now in two thirds of all MRIs. Okay, so yeah. he's he's licensed at GE and Siemens, and it's like. Billions of scans worldwide have, yeah, have, wow. have been impacted. So that's, yeah, Stuart's got fantastic credentials. So when we came along 2015, 2016, there was a very promising concept idea in the lab, this, this, you know, miniaturized prototype that could image the brain, but we needed to take it out of the lab and develop a prototype that would be suitable to go on patients and, you know, we did that with a successful proof of concept study we ran at the Princess Alexandra Hospital with our earlier clinical prototype, which I don't know if you've seen a picture. It looks a bit like R2D2. It's, <laughs> it's, it's got that kind of, it's even blue and white, but, uh, but it's small and we could prove out the concept. We could take the imaging to the patient. We could capture signals that our algorithm team could make sense of and see, we've got this capability to differentiate between stroke types. Is it a bleed? Is it a blockage and, and generate images? So from there, fast forward, we had to go from a clinical prototype to a what we call a commercial unit. So, designed for manufacture, robust, uh, meeting international medical device standards, uh, and we're now running much larger trials to generate the data we need for FDA, CE, TGA to begin marketing the product.
1: Yeah, the uh, the trial process for any medical device or anything like that just seems like a, just a long, a long time, and. So you started Princess Alexandra Hospital in Brisbane, and then uh, you had your first clinical trial in Liverpool Hospital in Sydney, uh, and you're now preparing a another clinical trial Royal Melbourne Hospital. I imagine you're getting the, the frequent flyer miles up. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah that's that's true. Just uh, on your on your comment about the process, it. It, it does take time. It's a medical device. You know, yeah. you need to prove it's safe and effective and, and we are doing something novel. So you need to prove from ground principles, you know, you're not another ultrasound or another CT. But, you know, you compare it to phase three drug development, you know, our clinical trials are less than $4 million at the moment, right? Mm-hmm. Phase three is 50, 100, 150, <sighs> you know. so know. So, uh, and you don't have, you know, that binary risk element that you can get in in, in pharma. So it does take a long time, but I think there are quite a few advantages with the medical device pathway. So we ran that proof of concept study at Princess Alexandra in Brisbane. We're now running a multi-centre study, which has three sites. So Liverpool and Royal Melbourne, both those sites are live and enrolling. And then the Princess Alexandra will be enrolling. Hopefully by the time this airs, we're enrolling patients uh, up in Brisbane. And there are a couple of phases to that. There's a pre-validation phase focused on it's generating safety data, hardware verification, usability, and more data to feed into our AI models. Mm. And then there's a subsequent validation phase to confirm our sensitivity and specificity. And so at the end of that process, we go to the FDA and TGA, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. okay.
1: Yeah. And so early days, but what, uh, what have you seen so far?
2: From the current study? Yeah. Well, stay, stay tuned on the ASX. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Uncovered, where every company has a story worth telling.
1: When I was researching uh, EM Vision, it's interesting to see just how much government has got behind it. New South Wales, uh, federal government, I'm sure other state governments, but also, I guess, the stroke advocacy community. So tell us what that journey's been like. Did they get it from day one? Was there a bit of uh, education that had to go with these groups? Well,
2: well, when when we arrived in in Brisbane and met the research team and, and visited the lab, they actually had three lightweight portable scanners. They had a brain scanner, they had a torso scanner, and they had a skin scanner. And oh, so we evaluated all three. And the reason we took the brain scanner forward is because every clinician, every nurse, every paramedic, every neurologist that we talked to as part of our research process said, this is a good idea, we need this, oh, wow. right? Yeah. So so of course, there's always skepticism, show me data or show me more data, which is normal, uh, but no one said this is a bad idea. So uh, that. That gave us a lot of confidence that this is that we're starting with a genuine unmet need, and then in terms of the grants have been fantastic. So it's close to twenty million dollars that we've secured in non dilutive grant funding, and you know I mentioned earlier there's about a six billion dollar economic health economic burden in Australia. So you can understand why the government's motivated to support innovations that can reduce that burden, uh, but also if we can keep manufacture local, you know if we can create more STEM jobs, they're all good value adds. So.
1: Yeah, it's really exciting. The, I guess the health technology that's coming out of Australia, there's obviously some of those big names that you think about, but the amount of innovation that's happening in universities is pretty exciting. I,
2: I think we definitely punch above our weight. Absolutely.
1: Mm. Yeah. So let's uh, turn, uh, you know, we are a business podcast here. So let's turn to the business uh, and what it could look like going forward. And I guess let's start general. What would the commercial market uh, look like and the business model look
2: like? Mm. So, uh to sell a lot of units, you need to be flexible, right? So I'll talk about the purchasing models first. So we're we're planning two uh, different models, CapEx and OpEx models. We've got two devices under development. One's a cart-based for hospital environment. One's a helmet-based for ambulance environment. Okay, so the pricing models are a, a little different.
1: And just to explain that so people can visualize it, the cart-based is literally you wheel a cart with it and to the patient as opposed to the previous iteration where you wheel the patient to the CT or MRI scan and then... Helmet based is installed in an ambulance. Correct. Yeah. yeah,
2: carried in a backpack, operated by trained paramedics. Brought in, you know, connected to telestroke. Uh, but price. So with the first generation, the hospital system, uh, we're we're looking at around one hundred and fifty thousand US for the capital equipment, which about two twenty five Aussie roughly. Uh, that is in line with mid to high end ultrasound and a fraction of CT or MRI. Uh, there's consumables, so there's a disposable cap. There's something called a coupling media, which is a bit like ultrasound gel, which helps, it's contained in the headset, helps our signals penetrate into the brain. We're looking at about $25 per scan, right? Naturally, medical products, you're targeting healthy margins on the capital equipment, but even healthier on the consumables. Uh, and then there's preventative maintenance and service, you know, annual contracts can be about 10% the capital equipment per annum. So, is that. The other model is a, is a OPEX monthly subscription. And we did a lot of research with a group called IDR Medical uh, for the U.S. in particular to understand, you know, do they prefer, do they want to pay up front? Do they, you know, they want le- leasing models? What's the preference? And and it was basically kind of 50-50, <laughs> okay. you know, it depends when you talk to us how much budget I've got left, ex- yeah, et cetera. Yeah. So, but we know we need to offer subscription models in certain markets. So approximately 8,000 U.S. a month, you know, fixed term you know everything bundled in the device training accessories consumables but a quota of consumables and if they go above there's a surcharge so those are the two mainstream purchasing models and then the market itself so again focusing on gen 1 first we're looking at icus stroke wards and regional emergency departments okay and and the use cases are slightly different Based on those cut in ICUs and stroke wards, we're looking at a monitoring paradigm after treatment to keep a closer eye on patients. So today, there is nothing by the bedside to image the brain, Mm -hmm. right? And keep it. Have they had a secondary bleed, recurrent strokes, all these complications that can occur? They have to, you know, wait. Symptoms appear, send them down to MRI a few days later. It can be too late. So. At a larger hospital, that's where we're focusing on. And then at a smaller regional center, they may not have a CT or someone to run that CT. There's a role at the front door.
1: Yeah, that's that's probably something that's worth uh, drilling down on. So with a CT or an MRI, you need a trained radiographer. With your devices, uh, is it uh, any doctor can use it?
2: Any doctor, any nurse. Uh, the, in our clinical study at the moment, nurses are doing a lot of the scans. As long as they've had the training and it's, you know, it's half a day's training at the moment. Yeah, So, wow. so it's not, not exhaustive. But, you know, g- going back to ICU, stroke wards, regional ED centers, in the US, we estimate there's about 10,000 opportunities. In Germany, France, UK, about 6,000, around 500 in Australia. So wow. based on that, that price point we talked about, it's about a $2.5 billion market with those regions. And then you add in South Korea, Japan, China, Latin America, and that number gets very, very big. So
1: you're talking about like a global opportunity here. When you're going through the clinical trials, is you, you can do one clinical trial and then send that data around the world or do you have to go to each different regulator and do different things?
2: What we're doing is is designing our study such to generate data that we believe will support the major markets So and generally meet FDA, you know, CETGA and 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 with certain regions there's harmonisation as well. So, ah, okay. so historically, if you've had CE mark, there's been a harmonisation back to TGA, which is almost an administrative process essentially. So, so looking at that 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 market size within, if we drill down a little further and we talk about okay, we want to get a foothold. Where's our you know our initial market? We believe it's in primary and comprehensive stroke centres. So these are the big stroke hospitals that they're looking after the most patients and. You know, if we look at the US, there's about 1,600 of those. You know, similar numbers in Germany, France, UK. And and we estimate it's about a $350 million opportunity. So, that's where we want to start, right? And and get a foothold and then grow from there.
1: And this is, you know, you're selling into hospitals and, you know, government healthcare systems. What's the sales process like there? And um, I imagine it's quite different to, you know, a B2C product selling to these sort of big buyers.
2: Yeah, so... So there's a few things you need, particularly for a new technology, you need an effective podium strategy. So the, the the percentage of the market that's going to adopt your product will really depend on what's the body of evidence you have out there. And there may be a portion, call it 5%, 10% that are early adopters that will, that will take on a new innovative technology earlier. And then there's a portion that are going to wait for some more evidence, more trials, etc. They want to see... You know, outcomes published in the major journals, New England Journal of Medicine, you know, The Lancet, those kinds of things. So, there's a process there you have to go through. Generate the evidence. Uh, You know, the ultimate goal is to get into guidelines. That's not an overnight journey, but but there is a process and a pathway to get there. And then in places like the U.S. as well, there's strategies around reimbursement, something called the new technology add-on payment program we're looking at. Because it's not just what are the cost savings you can generate. But what are the prop, you know, the revenue generation opportunities mm, as well okay. by deploying your device? So, um, but it's not just convincing, you know, a key opinion leader and neurologist, you know, that's eminent that 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 your device has value. You've also got to convince the finance department, yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah. there's a return there, yeah. And and we believe obviously our device is cost-effective enough, easy to use. There's a lot of advantages that we we expect to generate.
1: Yeah, of course. So we're recording this on the 18th of July, just to time box it. you uh, your we're heading into reporting season, so there's obviously some things you won't be able to tell me. Uh, but I guess of what you can, what's next for AM Vision?
2: Sure. So, as a company, I mentioned how how pivotal that earlier clinical study was for us, and that was with a smaller cohort, 50 patients. We're now in the midst of enrolling in this current stage, 150 patients, and as we progress through the study, we would like to be in a position to make insights uh, as we have previously from our earlier study. So I think this is a big opportunity for us generating positive data uh, out of our study that we're running at present, but also in parallel, we are working on our go-to-market partnerships and what that looks like. You know, we expect to use work with distributors for our major markets, particularly the US. Uh, We have you know, some relationships with some of the large medical imaging OEMs as well as medical device makers. We're going to be in Chicago uh, later this year at uh, something called RSNA, which is one of the largest medical imaging conferences. And so as we, in parallel, as we're running the clinical study and gearing up for the regulatory approvals process, we're setting up our um, a, the commercial partnerships to, to, to help enter the markets like the U.S.,
1: And then one question
2: we always like to ask when we have CEOs
1: in the studio is, um, you know, we're long-term investors here at Equity Mates and we love to think long-term when we're speaking to company leaders. So, if you think, you know, 10, 20 years down the line uh, and what EM Vision could be, what does success look like for you?
2: 10, 20 years down the line. Well, Something we've learned is, and, and one, of, one of my colleagues is probably his favorite mantra, is, is do one thing, do it, do it well. And what that means is we don't need seven products to be a multi-billion dollar business. You know, with our current product stream, with the two brain scanners uh, focusing on stroke, we could be a very successful business. But there is opportunity using the same hardware and effectively a software upgrade to tackle other indications, traumatic brain injury have had a fall, car accident, you know, swelling in the brain. You know, there's, there's, there's a whole lot of opportunities to expand out our existing product line. And then, you know, like I mentioned, it's a, it, it is a platform technology. You know, we own the rights for looking at lung, liver, you know, skin. But that's, you know, we want to build a healthy business on our existing product line and then tackle, tackle those other yeah other markets downstream.
1: fascinating now uh, Scott I want to say a massive thank you for coming in one final question Um, just before we turn the mics on you mentioned that National Stroke Week was coming up the 7th to the 13th of August this year so for people that like me weren't aware of some of those stats around strokes uh, what should we be doing or what should we be aware of in National Stroke
2: Week? Yeah I I would encourage everyone to head to the Stroke Foundation website There's there's some fantastic resources there I mean we're talking about providing portable urgent brain imaging which is a really important piece of the puzzle but it's not the only piece of the puzzle you know it's it's also important for people to be able to recognize the signs the symptoms of stroke and the better equipped people are to do that the quicker they can call triple zero and and then brain imaging can play an important role so stroke foundation is a fantastic advocacy advocacy group and you know we're we're proud to get behind that uh, initiative
1: Love it. Well, Scott, thanks for uh, joining us today. Good luck uh, uh, with your clinical trials and what comes next.
2: Thanks, Alec. It's been a pleasure. Well,
1: Equitymates, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Scott Kirkland, the co-founder and CEO of EM Vision. If you want to learn more about EM Vision, there is an article on the Equitymates website that unpacks the company in a little more detail. Uh, the link to that is in the show notes. If you want to hear more episodes of Uncovered, head over to the Uncovered by Equity Mates feed. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Until next episode, thanks for listening.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Uncovered by Equity Mates. A reminder that nothing on this podcast should be taken as a buy, hold or sell recommendation. This podcast is intended to uncover new ideas and be the start of your research process, not the end of it. If you would like a company featured on Uncovered by Equitymates, please reach out to contact at equitymates.com. Equitymates Media operates under Australian Financial Services Licence 540697